Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the day after Queen's, and for the first time in 25 years, I'm not exhausted, and it's magnificent. <laughs> Catherine Whitaker and Matt Roberts are here with me, David Law. Catherine, how was Queen's? Yeah, don't worry, David. I'm exhausted enough for the three of us. Okay. Um, it was great. It was great. You were much, much missed. Um, I tried to, I tried to think of it as a, a new tournament. I suppose, just from a very, very personal perspective. And some of the post-COVID changes behind the scenes helped me to to think of it as a new tournament. And um, I was able to enjoy it. Um, a heat wave helped. Yeah, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, really, really helped. That I mean, it's, it's a different place in the sun, Queens. Mm, no, it really is. Yeah, it, it was a glorious sight to watch on TV. And I, I mean, I, I had a lovely week, really, just uh, pottering around, relaxing in the sun, watching your coverage. Um, and I was also, I also very much enjoyed watching Matteo Berrettini lift the trophy and then proceed to hold it one-handed for about 20 minutes. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a strong man, but that trophy I find very heavy and... <laughs> He made that trophy look like a teacup under his under his left arm that he just stood there holding. And I mean, look, I personally love the 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 affection he and the the awe with which he treated the trophy. But goodness me, that bloke's got some strength. Yeah, I've never seen anybody do their post match interview round uh, clutching the trophy under their arm before he um we 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 had him wandering over to to Annabelle Croft in the corner at, at, for us at this stage he'd already done an interview with the BBC he'd already had a load of photo taken photos taken and we had a sort of plinth set up right there and I was waiting for the moment that he took advantage of that and nope i mean unconfirmed whether he has yet put the trophy down <laughs> we Fair we play. might not know till we see him at Wimbledon if he turns up with it there, then we'll know. Yeah. Um, so two years in a row, he's won the title. We'll, we'll talk about um, the tournament in a bit more detail uh, a little bit later. We've got some serious news items to cover first. Uh, first of all, though, hello, Matt. Hello, David. H- how are you? 
How's your week been? Because normally you're similarly toast. Yes, I feel like we've had very similar weeks, David. As you said, pottering around in the sun, watching Catherine present queens on the telly. It's been it's yeah. been very nice. Yeah, he says this, Catherine, but I, I also know the depths of research she's gone to prepare for our two editions of uh, Wimbledon Relived, which are coming up this week. Oh yes, that um, as well. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you didn't receive the newsletter last week what are you doing um, and get on the newsletter list immediately uh, he, the link is in our show notes to to this show but uh, we'll let you know what the what, what, what the shows are very quickly we're doing um, a look back over middle Sunday's past because they are going to be ever present in our lives from from here on no more Rest. No more, no more rest, long. David. No, no more brunches in the Ever. sunshine. Um, yeah, R.I.P. Naps. <laughs> um, so yeah, proper Sundays like normal tournaments uh, at Wimbledon from here on. But uh, there were some unusual, out of the blue middle Sundays in the past where tennis took place at Wimbledon, and, we, and Matt has been to the Wimbledon Library to go and uh, clue himself up on them. Um, I've been doing lots and lots of interviews for our second Wimbledon Relived um, podcast, which is going to do focus on the junior tournament at Wimbledon and those players that won juniors and went on to senior success and those that went on to disappear without trace. And we've been trying to sort of have a look at maybe the reasons why some make it, some don't. Um, and I've been having lots of lots of lovely chats. It's been very nice. Yeah, no word yet on whether Ricardis Barankis is prepared to participate. We'll, um, no. You'll have to become a friend of the pod uh, yeah. to find out. That's right, because those two shows are only going to be available to friends of the tennis podcast. The Barankis tease, that's what you need <laughs> <laughs> to sign up. You're welcome, um, David. Nothing is you, not Catherine. a salesperson. There are people listening now who do not know the Barankis story. And, you know, maybe we should just leave it and let them go back into the archive to hear it. But it is it is an all timer. Yeah, it, it has been heard on a few episodes from the past. Mm. And I'm not going to relate it right now. But if you if you can't be bothered, just get in touch and I'll let you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, this uh, this week, we've got lots of uh, tennis news to cover, not least the fact that Serena Williams is back. She is currently in Eastbourne. Pictures have been seen of Serena Williams in Eastbourne today, as we record on Monday afternoon. She's playing doubles with Ons Jabeur, who has subsequently pulled out of the singles, <laughs> but is still playing the doubles uh, because Jabeur won the uh, the Berlin tournament. But, I mean, Serena Williams is, is planning to play doubles in Eastbourne. She's got a singles wild card into Wimbledon. This is huge news, Catherine, because... I mean, we don't know what this means for her career and, and how how successful a comeback it might be. But the sheer fact that she's even doing this is maybe more than a, a lot of a sort we would, we would be seeing. Oh, I, it was a massive shock to me. I had, I had in my head retired Serena Williams. We've, we've, we've talked quite a bit recently about, about how that quote from her after her loss at the Australian Open last year you know, when when it is my last one, I won't tell you. That rings in my ears. And, um, you know, the distance between her now and her, well, two things, her her last playing, which of course was Wimbledon last year, and her peak, just the golf just seemed to be growing insurmountably large. Um, 
and this came totally out of the blue for me. Um, I would love to know. I hope we'll have the chance to ask her and get an honest response about when the decision was made, whether there even was a decision, whether this was always the plan. I'm desperate to know those things. Um, I'm surprised. I think two things. I think she's not just playing to come and wave goodbye. I absolutely don't think that Serena Williams is interested in just coming somewhere to, to wave. I don't think she would enter this tournament if she didn't think she could win it. She might be wrong. She might be deluded. She might be completely unrealistic. We don't know. We haven't seen her play. But I believe in her mind she thinks she has a chance to win it. That being the case, I find it a little bit strange that she isn't playing singles in Eastbourne this week. Um, there did seem to be... It's going going back a long way now, isn't it? Because it's been a year since we've seen her play. But there did seem to be a bit of recognition from her um, l- last year and the tail end of 2020 that she can't just rock up at Grand Slams anymore and expect to win them. Now, yes... It's something to be playing doubles with with Jabir at Eastbourne. It's really cool and I absolutely can't wait to watch it. But if she's coming to Wimbledon to try and win it and she's going to Eastbourne anyway, I don't quite understand why she wouldn't try and play singles. That that mm. aspect of it baffles me a little. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I guess the reason is she just wants to have the grass beneath her feet and to be in a competitive environment without necessarily stretching yourself too far but that is a heck of a jump isn't it a leap from doubles in Eastbourne to singles at Wimbledon especially as she'll be unseeded at Wimbledon and yeah. w- could very well be thrown in right at the deep end you know I mean, the, the, the depth Jibber, of you know. absolutely and and even if she you know gets relatively lucky and doesn't draw one of the the top seeds the depth is such that she could still be thrown in very much at the deep end, um, pretty much cold in terms of singles. Have, Matt, have we ever had a more kind of cold re-entry into the sport than this? I, I think of Rafael Nadal coming back from his layoffs and Roger Federer coming out and winning the Australian Open after his surgery. But I mean, to not have played anywhere publicly for a year literally a year and to start at Wimbledon with 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 a little bit of doubles at Eastbourne I can't think of one and yet it's the power of Serena Williams that I think we're even considering the idea that she might have a chance of winning the tournament um you know I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm predicting Are her we? to win the tournament I'm just saying it is Serena Williams and she gets your mind going he's in gone that early way. there David hasn't he he's gone very early <laughs> How are we well, talking, Matt? Well, I thought John Wertheim put it well when he said, you know, she's she's 40 years old, she's not played in over a year, and nobody wants to draw her in the first round. Like, mm. because, as you said, it's just a question of form. And look, I, I don't think the form is going to be there to win the tournament. I do have big question marks about that. But I agree, she's she's not going to be playing this if she's not physically ready or if she's carrying any kind of injury. So we have to assume that she's, you know, very fit and ready to go. Uh, she just needs to build it up. And we have seen her play, I think in 2018, she played very little tennis before coming into Wimbledon. I think she played seven matches all year, which obviously is infinitely more than she's played now. But she got to the final and... 
her form was not that good. She had a very, very easy draw and she made it work and she served brilliantly. If she's anywhere close to that, she's Serena Williams. So we, you sort of have to give her some kind of chance. Um, and basically, I just think it's so exciting to have Serena Williams back in the draw. You know, as you said, unseeded, she could go anywhere. And that just makes Friday's draw all the more exciting. I mean, I, I, I squealed when I saw the Instagram post on Tuesday. It was, it was like, I don't know, it just felt like such a boost and such a lift. Serena's back. I and I really didn't think it was going to happen. You know, we were asking, you know, some pretty in-the-know people at Roland Garros what they felt about Serena. No one had any inkling that this was coming whatsoever. I think this has really been kept on the down low. And, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thrilling announcement. It's the universe rewarding you, Matt, or making up for the fact that uh, you missed the French Open draw due to Eurostar <laughs> misery. I like that, yes. It's a fairly lopsided equation. I'd say you, you, you're up there, Matt, in that case, because we had a good night on the night we missed the <laughs> French Open draw. <laughs> I had a lovely time. I discovered galettes. Uh, I still had a, a drink in the new flat in the in the Roland Garros Tennis Podcast Towers. Oh, it's a great night. Yeah, selective anyway, memory is a wonderful thing. Uh, I, there's nothing you can say about Roland Garros that won't bring me out in a smile, <laughs> as you know. So. Uh, Guardian or taxi queue, David. I'll just say that and leave it there. Uh, one of us was smiling. <laughs> anyway, um, actually, it is true about the lift that Serena Williams' announcement has given. I think the same to a lesser degree, but still a lift is, uh, is the fact that Rafael Nadal seems to be on his way. I mean, he is he's travelling to London today. Um, and he he hopes to play. That's what he said on on Friday. It seems, Matt, that the so far the, the the treatment he's had looks like it might have done the job at least for now. Yeah, that's right. He he announced a press conference on on Friday, um, and he spoke about how the treatment had gone well. He said he had a week without limping. Uh, there was still, I think, some some numbness, some maybe a bit of soreness, which he, he thinks should disappear with time. Um, and basically, he's in a much, much better place than he was with the foot just just a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, just thinking about it, there were two outcomes from that treatment and they were at opposite ends of the spectrum. One was really positive, which thankfully it feels like we're in that scenario where it's gone well and he is on for the calendar slam. Let's let's just remember that. But the other outcome was that it didn't work and he needed potentially career-ending surgery on that foot. You know, there, there didn't really seem to be a middle ground between those two options. And so we've kind of all been holding our breath, really, for this news over the last couple of weeks. And, and it seems like it's been really positive. And just casually, he's finished finished fifth in the golf championships this week that he's been playing um, out of about 70 competitors. Apparently used a buggy to protect his foot a little bit. But yeah living his best life on the golf course before coming over to London for Wimbledon. I mean, to me, even that is a good sign mm. because you know, you're putting a lot of stress on your, your feet, aren't you? And you play golf and I know, I know he might've been on the, the buggy, but even so I, I'm very encouraged. Um, less good news with Naomi Osaka being out. Um, she 
has not withdrawn officially because, in her words, it feels a bit like an exhibition and therefore without ranking points, what's the point kind of thing. Uh, but she has cited a, an Achilles injury. And I suppose some people are th- sort of disbelieving of that. Now, I mean, I'm going to take her at her word personally, but it's um, the fact that she'd said all that d- didn't didn't come across that well, I think, to, to a, a number of people at the time. Um, but I hope she's well soon. I hope she comes to Wimbledon in the future. And I hope she makes a real go of it on grass and clay in the years to come. Because... To me, her career will be incomplete, as wonderful as it's been. Four Grand Slam titles on hard courts, world number one. If she isn't able to give a proper go at those two surfaces, I, I would really be gutted, to be honest, and disappointed in, in her to some degree. I suspect her withdrawal is a, is a mix. I mean, she has had an Achilles injury for a little while, hasn't she? It's not just something that has appeared... Just now, it was the reason she pulled out of Rome. It first flared up in Madrid. She obviously only played one match at Roland Garros. And yet she did also let us into how she was honestly feeling about Wimbledon. And if that was how you were feeling, there's just no way you're going to be risking an injury that you might be able to play a bit on at an event where there's where there's no ranking points, if that's how you feel. Um, so I, I, sus- I suspect it's... A bit of a combination, but absolutely there is an injury there. What's the feeling, Catherine, about uh, Andy Murray at Queen's? Um, he, he pulled out on the eve or, or shortly after when we recorded last Sunday night. And it was no surprise to us, given the physical state he was in that day, having withdrawn from his final against Matteo Berrettini in Stuttgart. But are you feeling from what you've heard and seen that he's going to be at Wimbledon? I get the feeling he will be be there more likely than not um but i do think this is a significant blow um yeah. i understand that with abdominal injuries in you can't you can't play through them in the way you might be able to with a joint injury there's nothing you can tape up it's almost like the something being wrong with the foundations you know um so that doesn't say good, sound good. I mean, it's it's a very sim- similar situation to where Murad Akanu, a race against time. Um, obviously, she's got a a nineteen year old body, and Andy Murray's got a thirty five year old body with a <laughs> with a metal portion. Um, but it's oh, I, it it's such a blow for both of them. Um, I, I I hear slightly more hopeful sounds about Andy Murray than I do. Bad Emma Adekanu, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, I share that. Um, uh, but let's let's hope so because it feels as though he'd got himself into a place, and given the lack of other real contenders for this title, it felt like he was knocking on the door of being right there with a with a good physical run of three weeks, and that has to be very much in doubt now. Um, that couple of weeks we've had in the with, with Matteo Berrettini's form had you Catherine put in the concept of the mix to Tim Hemman and Greg Rosetsky in the prime video studio and uh and they they went oh when you said uh, if we assume that the mix is uh, you wouldn't be surprised if one of the players won Wimbledon and uh, and they pondered on that for a while um 
Having seen Matteo Berrettini yourself over the last week, and he's won the title, he's beaten Filip Krajinovic 7-5-6-4 to defend his title. Not many people have defended that title in the past. And I don't think he was playing as well as he did a year ago, but I think it's it's a pretty extraordinary achievement to come back off hand surgery and in your first two tournaments back to win them both. It's just amazing, I think. Where Would you put him in the mix, Catherine, right now as we stand? Yes, I would. I wouldn't pick him for the title, but I would put him in the mix. A mix of how many? I have a mix of three at Wimbledon. Berrettini and? Nadal and Djokovic. Matt? I agree. I think it's a mix of three. I think there are some other names you could... I'd be open to discussion, but I think there's unarguably at least three in the mix, and I agree with all of those names. Who's in the discussion? This is a new sub-mix of the mix. I think you would have to throw Hubert Hurkacz in there, the Haller champion, uh, mainly given the players he beat, to be honest. Back-to-back, he beat Felix Ogier-Aliassim, Nick Kyrgios, Daniil Medvedev. That's a, that's a very legit run to a title. What puts Berrettini ahead of him? What puts Berrettini been, been ahead of him? Been to a slam final. Been, yeah, slam form, I would say. Uh, obviously, Hercatch has reached the Wimbledon semi-final last year and he and he froze a little bit against Berrettini, to be honest. Um, whereas Berrettini brings it in slams. He he only loses to top, top players in slams and he, and he's he's got more weapons as well. I think if Berrettini has a bit of an off day... Like I felt he did at Queen's a couple of times, as you said, I didn't always think he was playing his best tennis, but he's got that serve, he's got that forehand which he can rely on, and I think those are those are two things which I feel like with Hercatch it all needs to come together, basically, for him. Hmm. Hercatch and who? I think the other name would be Alcaraz simply because we don't know. <laughs> you know, he might he might be amazing on grass. We don't have that much information. He's pretty amazing generally. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that much if he rocked up on grass and could kind of do it. But there's an unknown quantity, so I, I struggle to put him in the mix definitively. Uh, but I, I would be open to someone putting him in their mix, I suppose. Okay. We're getting, getting a lot of requests for us to design an in-the-mix T-shirt at the moment. Um because I think Greg and Tim might in. might uh, might buy one. <laughs> They're hoping that might put them in one, maybe. Um, <laughs> don't think so. Somehow, uh, Alcaraz last year at Wimbledon played uh, Medvedev, mm. and he lost six four six one six two mm. in the second round. But rather different player now, isn't he? Can't uh, wait first, to see Alcaraz at Wimbledon. It, it will be exciting, won't it? Um, to, and again, just to see what sort of draw he might get and what that might do and what an opponent might do against him based on that difference in surface it's uh, it's fascinating we've seen some some interesting players over the last week particularly at Queens where we've been paying close attention Marin Cilic looked decent until the semi-finals and then he was really poor I thought against a very very good Krajinovic who who's a funny cat isn't he Krajinovic I mean he he said he he, did, he was trying to find ways to avoid the grass court tournaments until this year and he's 30 years of age and you watch him coming into the net and he has lovely volleys and you're thinking well why don't you just invest your brain in this 
mode of the sport if you're this good at it. Um, but he, he didn't seem that fussed. They are both, in very different ways, Marin Cilic and Filip Krajinovic, extremely confusing tennis players. Filip Krajinovic, as you say, David, 30. And I know he's had a lot of injuries. He's had a bad, bad run of it over the last decade with injuries. But still, he's so talented. And he hadn't won a main draw grass court match um, on grass before this Queen's. And then he goes and reaches reach, reaches the final of one of the most prestigious grass court tournaments, saying saying after every match, well, I had no, no game plan, no strategy. And yet you watch him out there and he's volleying he's a dream. Like, I don't know. It completely confounding person. And then, and then, all the way through, you know, after his semi-final win, he's sort of still saying, "I hate grass," and you know, this is all just a bonus. I wasn't even sure if I was going to bother playing on grass before Wimbledon this year. He pretty much said, without saying, that his attitude to the grass used to be, "Just come to Wimbledon and take your first round paycheck," which is significant these days. Which is significant, yeah. So then, even after the semi-final, he was sort of saying, oh, I hate grass, this is kind of great, but, you know. And then he loses the final to Berrettini and looks utterly crestfallen. <laughs> Which, you know, is, is is what you want to see, but <laughs> I don't understand him psychologically. Marin Cilic has become a very confusing tennis player um, because his his peak, when he hits top form, it's vintage it is absolute vintage Marin Cilic. But in every single match, m- more so than, than at the French Open, look, I, I didn't didn't watch all of his matches at the French Open. You know, it wasn't until he reached the... Well, it wasn't until he beat Daniil Medvedev in that extraordinary performance that any of us really paid any attention to Marin Cilic at, mm. at the French Open this year because, frankly, why would you? Um, but he, he comes into Queens. I did that interview with him on the eve of the tournament where he just seemed high on life. And I thought, you know, this is this is a man that can definitely win the title this week. And then who does he play in the opening round? Liam Brody. And he's abs- it's just a horrible matchup for Liam Brody. And Marin Cilic is playing well. Doesn't stand a chance. It's just you're worried about it being awkward. I think it's a set and a break. And then points for a double break. And Marin Cilic, out of nowhere, forgets how to play tennis. I know all tennis players get tight, but it happens so dramatically and seemingly so unexpectedly, although it's happening so frequently now that you do come to expect it. It's utterly baffling. And it happened in every single match. And I was expecting it to happen again in the semi-final against Filip Krajinovic. And in fact, what happened is he just came out playing the rubbish tennis from the start. It was inexplicable. He really was bad in that semi-final. And I know it was it was um, very strange conditions because we'd, we'd had this heat wave all week. And the, the previous day for his quarter-final, he was playing in scorching heat. And the, it was Melbourne, like the temperature dropped about 15 degrees in the space of just a few hours and really did get cold and windy. And that's that's a tough adjustment. But it was the same adjustment that Filip Krajinovic was experiencing. And Cilic mm. just played a horrible match. Um, yeah. And I don't understand it. I, I know, well, I do. It's mental baggage, isn't it? But he didn't seem to have the mental baggage in, in Paris. 
he deposited it, left it on the Eurostar because it's so bloody annoying lugging a suitcase around uh, around a Eurostar terminal. Feel your pain, Marin. <laughs> yeah, and he hasn't got us to help, mm. so can understand it. Anyway, um, Ryan Penniston, very quickly. Um, he was a bit of a revelation, wasn't he? Left-hander from Great Britain, somebody who's 26 years of age. We were thinking, well, who's this new kid on the block? Well, oh, right, he's mid-20s. But actually, he, he he got quite a bit about him, I felt. Um, nice style of play. Um, liked his attitude in the interviews afterwards. I liked how polite he was to, to you when he was talking to you and uh, just genuinely loving the experience. And I, I hope that there's more to come from him. He's, a, he's an interesting player. Uh, doubles title won by Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic, who beat uh, the British player Lloyd Glasspool and a chap whose name is betraying me, Catherine. What is it? Harry Heliavara of Finland. That's the one. Who, again, much like Ryan Penniston, I thought, oh, up-and-comer. Uh, he's 33, I think. <laughs> right. Well, in doubles I mean, these days, yeah. that, that yeah. is up-and-coming, isn't it? That's that's young. Um, in uh, in Halle, we had, uh, as Matt was saying, Hubert Herkatch beating quite a role of honour here. Dano Medvedev, 6-1, Felix Ogialiasim, Nick Kyrgios. That's a who's who of the ones just below the mix guys, really. Obviously, Medvedev can't play at Wimbledon, but Ojali Osim and Kyrgios would be regarded as two of the more comfortable players on that surface. Um, so, yeah, her catch, very interesting. And, and he did amuse us um, with his comments about how to return the serve of Felix Ojali Osim, which is to look at the shot clock, and if it shows an odd number, go one way, and if it shows an even number, go the other way. And uh, that's... Uh, that's one way of doing it. It's a bit like how I, I once did my exams, where I sort of, in the multiple choice, would just think, have I had an A for a while? No, I haven't. I'll put A. Um, I didn't do so well. But anyway, those were the lost law years. When I saw that a, a Hubert Hercatch interview video was trending, I did think, oh my goodness, what what could it possibly be? Has he done a David Nalbandian <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago? Um it was, it, was a, it was a lovely little soundbite, wasn't it, from Hubert Hercatch? It was. Uh, doubles won by Marcel Grenoyes and Horacio Zabayas in Berlin. I knew that Ons Jabeur had won the title because out of nowhere, Catherine messaged us how much she wanted her to win Wimbledon. Um, I just think it would be incredible. Don't you? I mean, just one of the most popular, popular Grand Slam victories in history. Popular and important, actually, really, really game-changingly important. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be amazing. And but is she in the mix then? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Really? Absolutely. And I, I know that. I think in some weird way that means your life is over or something, David, because uh, she's never in the mix in your lifetime. Well, I haven't put her in it. <laughs> okay, your so, mix. You know. We'll have, we'll have a week on, and then I'll on. decide. On the Shippers, not in your mix for Wimbledon. I haven't decided yet. Um, and given that my last comment on the subject was that she wouldn't be in my lifetime, then I've got some severe rowing back to do if I'm going to place if her in it. If on not, David, then who is for you? Iga Svantec. It's It's definitely not a mix of one. I don't think Why it not? can be on grass. No. Hmm. It was at the French Open because Fiontech is a known 
brilliant, brilliant quantity on clay, and she was so far ahead of the rest of the field. She's not even Jabelle played. lost in the first round. Look, I mean, that's that's the thing here. We're entering in very similar territory to what we entered the French Open with, where Jabir has won one of the leading tournaments. Everyone's expecting her to do well. How will she cope with all of that? I just think... Her game suits grass really, really well. I think, you know, she has reached the final four of her last six events. This is a sustained, brilliant bit of form. And she beat Coco Goff wonderfully in the semis. It makes her more dangerous that she lost first round of the French. Why? Hungrier. Experience. You know, she finds herself in a similar position again. She's had that experience of going into a, a Grand Slam, being in some people's mix for the title. And even this week in Berlin, that was the first time she'd been number one seed at a 500. I think it was the biggest tournament she'd ever been, you know, number one seed at, and she won it. You know, there was pressure on her to deliver, and she did. I just can't imagine what happened at the French Open happening again. It's in the back of my mind. I just think, She's so good now, she won't let it. I, I very much hope you're right, because I would love to see her just blossom and bloom at Wimbledon, like she did last year when she beat Garbini Magarutha, she beat Iga Svantec, she was wonderful, then she lost to Irina Sabalenka in the quarterfinals. I actually suspect and fear that it's more likely to happen again because it happened at the French, because of the mental baggage that comes with that, because I, I don't... I would never question her hunger back then. I think that she she's desperate, desperate, desperate to win. But I think that that's more anxiety-inducing than necessarily a positive. She needs to find a way of caring so much but not caring in her performance so that she can play freely. And if she can do that, she's got the shots, no question about it, to go, well, to go all the way. But I just, I'm not convinced. We'll see. We'll see. I'll give it a week and I'll, I'll ponder. But a very interesting discussion point. She, I mean, the player she beat, Coco Goff in the semifinals. She beat Belinda Bencic. She was sadly injured and had to retire, which is a real shame because the performance she put in, in a really high quality match against Maria Sakkari in the semifinals was, was fabulous. You know, Sakkari hitting the board as hard as she possibly could and Bencic hitting a... a a run of form where she was stepping in halfway between the baseline and the service line to half folly winners. That, Matt, is is one of the sites in tennis that I would like to see more of. I don't think Belinda Bencic does that enough, but when she hits a, a purple patch, it's it's spectacular. I always remember Daniela Hantakova describing the way she hits the ball as like walking into the shot. And as soon yeah. as I as soon as I heard that description, I was like, yeah, that's it. That is exactly what she does. She steps into the ball. It doesn't matter the pace it's coming at. And she's able to so often redirect it up the line. And I, that was an incredible match. That was probably the best match I watched all week. Bengshik Sakari. Um, it was really hot and physically demanding conditions as well, which I think is something... Bengchich over the last year has got really good at you know like think of mm. Tokyo when everyone else well not everyone else but a lot of players were really struggling in in those conditions and she seemed to absolutely thrive in them and I thought she looked in really good form on the grass in Berlin and I think 
probably a smart decision to stop that final because she she'd gone over on her ankle and look no one wants to retire in a final but equally there's no point playing on if you're going to be making something worse and you don't know how it's going to be the next day so she just called it and I reckon with an eye on Wimbledon because I think I think she got the form she needed through Berlin to know that she's playing well and when she is like that she mixes it with the best players in the world she's She's stunning to watch. Yeah. Um, she is going through, yes, hopefully to Wimbledon to, to, to be part of the draw there. In the doubles final, Storm Sanders and Katarina Siniakova were the champions. In Birmingham, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, she won her second grass court tournament in a row after winning Nottingham. And she beat Simona Halep and Zheng Shui, uh, who was forced to retire back to back on finals day. Because there was a washout on Saturday, don't I know it? Living up uh, just down the road from Birmingham, um, but that's that's really something, isn't it? I'd admire winning two titles in a row like that, and and pretty quietly. I mean, they're they're not the biggest tournaments, are they? But th- I mean, those are really impressive wins. Ten match grass court winning streak. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's pretty unbelievable. And some of the players she's beaten: Sakari, Kvitova. Risk, Halep and Georgie are, are half of her wins there. You know, proper wins. Um, she was outside the top 80 at the start of the season. She's now into the top 30. And honestly, honestly, I knew her mainly for the drugs ban she served a couple of years ago. Um, and since then, I think since since the COVID restart, she's worked her way back. A lot of wins on the ITF circuit. And this year has transferred that to the WTA tour and yeah she's she's in an amazing run of form at the moment she's also top 50 in in doubles as well she's one of the players who's top 50 in both lefty got really flat ground strokes especially the backhand and I thought the win against Halep in particular was was impressive because it looked like Halep had a bit between her teeth and was really into that match it was a breakup in the third set and how often have we seen Halep you know, win from those positions and fight through tight matches and had Ed Meyer sort of wrestled it from her. She's she's playing really, really good tennis and and yet will still go into Wimbledon, I should think, completely under the radar. Mm. Uh, the doubles was won by Lyudmila Kitchenok and Yelena Ostapenko, who uh, defeated Zheng and Merton, Zheng, Zheng having to which, retire because of uh, of that injury she'd suffered in the uh, in the singles. Um, Ostapenko, Catherine, also gave us one of the the little clip highlights of the tournament in a post match interview when she said of her win over Rebecca Marino, "Well, I was just by far the better player," you know, um, and she was doing nothing basically. <laughs> What's your reaction to that? to laugh and think it was great or was it to think well that's a bit out of order oh I thought it was wonderful uh, I, I didn't watch the match so I, I I can't tell you whether that was a fair and accurate assessment of uh, of what transpired but uh, if she feels that way I think it's totally fine for her to say she feels that way I also think it's fine for it get to, for that to get people's backs up um, and for her opponent, for Rebecca Marino to be peeved about it, I think all of these things are fine. I think the the crucial ingredient with Elena Ostapenko is that she's prepared to suffer the consequences of 
of being like that. You know, she, I, I get the impression that she knows that that'll make people a bit off with her in the locker room and that's okay. She's, you know, in the words of every Love Island contestant there's ever been, she's being true to herself, isn't she? <laughs> and and if Love Island's taught me anything, it's that quite often being true to yourself means being an arsehole and, you know, being cool with that. David's I've face. never watched Love Island, so uh, <laughs> it, I, is that like Big Brother in in on the beach in a villa? <laughs> in in a villa, right? Okay. It was it was quite a tough crowd uh, for that comment in Birmingham. I don't think the crowd liked it particularly. Um, she got she got rather booed, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. We, and and let's be honest, the booing only added to it. Oh yeah, it was so, it was all brilliant. It was a highlight of the week. <laughs> I'm going to go and watch it again now. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Okay, well, that's what's happened on the on the court. Oh, just very quickly, how many how, how big is your Wimbledon mix in the women's? Is the at the moment? It's tough. I'm rubbing my chin. Just I can hear that. Just explaining the silence. My instinct is that it's quite big, and yet I'm struggling to actually pinpoint the players. Um, Sviontek, obviously, Jabur, obviously, for me. Um, I'd probably put Goff. And then there's and there's just a lot of players maybe not in the best form. And then there's a lot of there's a lot of former champions in the draw. You know, Muguruza, Kerber, Halep, Serena. You know, do you put Kerber them in? might be in my mix. Interesting. Okay. I think well, if we'll Radicanu were fit, she might be in my mix, but I think she's a massive injury warrior. Mm. I think she might not even mm. play to to be honest. Um and there's a part of me that hopes she doesn't because if she's the worst case scenario for Emma Adekani was that she she feels pressure to play whether internal or external or a combination of both she feels pressure to play when she's not quite ready to because of mm. where it is um and her status in this country um and I so desperately don't want her to do that that I would almost feel an element of relief if she does end up withdrawing as much as I desperately do want to see her play at Wimbledon as a Grand Slam champion. It's almost like there's no there's no properly good scenario available to Emma Raducanu, um, which is such a shame. Yeah, I mean, unless she happens to be a lot fitter than it sounds like she is, and I, I the fact that she isn't playing Eastbourne and all the rest of it makes you feel as though it, it can't be great. Um, but fingers crossed for her. I, I hope the best for her. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The rest of the, the world of tennis has had a couple of news lines come out for us Um to to hear this last week, including the US Open announcing that they would be allowing Russian and Belarusian players to compete at the US Open. So that means only Wimbledon and the LTA with events like Queens and Eastbourne, they're the only ones that have banned Russian and Belarusian players. That that perhaps wasn't expected by Wimbledon when they made the decision. I don't think that they necessarily expected to be completely on their own. And that does that makes a difference in the landscape, doesn't it? I don't know what it means for the future, uh, but it's uh, it feels like quite a quite a big moment to me. Um, and uh, yeah, the likes of Daniel Medvedev will be allowed to defend his title in a, a couple of months' time. Andre Rublev will be back. Arena Sabalenka, Victoria Azarenka, they'll all be allowed to play at the U.S. Open. Um, so we will uh, we'll monitor that and see uh, if there are any further developments but, in that but story. But Novak Djokovic might not be. That's right, yes, because as things stand, whilst um, people are freely now allowed to enter the United States without being tested, if you are unvaccinated, you can't go in. Yeah, there was so up until last week, I think it was, you had to um, produce a, a negative lateral flow test and evidence of, of uh, full vaccination, and there had been anticipation for a long time of those regulations changing um, and they indeed have changed but very significantly the vaccination policy hasn't changed and there's still time for it to um, but it's less of a given um, than than it once was I think given that they've made that adjustment and they had the opportunity then in one swoop if you like to um, to eliminate all uh, travel restrictions, and they've elected not to. Um, it's definitely not a given that Novak Djokovic will be able to play in New York, and it's absolutely not a given that he'll be able to to play in Australia next mm. year no, that's or, right. or, or thereafter. Um, and there's no suggestion that there'll be any way, any recourse for the US Open or any intention from the US Open to try to get any exemption for him. So, I believe they either they've stated or it's been reported reliably that they don't intend to seek an exemption. 
So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to just keep a very close eye on that because the far-reaching re- repercussions if Novak Djokovic is unable to play the US Open and then maybe the Australian Open thereafter, but we will see what ends up happening. Um, we've had news over the last week of the retirement from the sport of Monica Puig, who won the Olympics in 2016 so memorably. It's one of the stories that we covered on Tennis Relived during uh, the worst of the pandemic year and it was a it was a fabulous story to relive um can't remember Catherine getting a chance to speak to her we spoke to other people who were around that story as well and just one of the most magical olympic stories that i can remember but she's she's suffered in the last uh few years terribly with injury um, shoulder problems in particular uh, and has decided to stop playing she I, I believe he's going to get involved in broadcasting. I've seen her at uh, Roland Garros. She was doing some TV work there. But um, whatever she does, wish her the very best of luck for the future. And we've also had the news that Sue Barker, the BBC's presenter of tennis for the last 30 years, is going to make Wimbledon this year her final one as the anchor of BBC's television coverage. She was a a French Open champion in her own right in the 70s with Sue, and she's somebody all of us know and have worked with. Um, On a personal note, she's always been great to me and great with people behind the scenes at Queen's and all the years that I worked there. Everybody just felt comfortable in her company, I think. There was never any grand sort of... Uh, expectation around her she's just she's just a, a nice person really Catherine I think you'd probably agree with that from your time having spent time with her and um and it's it's sad in a way but but I'm I'm really pleased that she's sort of going to do it one more time before she stops yeah I've had exactly the same experience of her in, in a very understated way um an extremely nice normal person she's one of those people that I mean you know, she was part of the fabric of my childhood and I'm sure lots of people listening would say the same and you almost get nervous meeting and experiencing people like that in real life because they can always only disappoint. Um, But she was exactly, she was always exactly what I hoped that she would be. You know, she's exactly as you expect and as you you find her. Um, And I wish her well for her retirement. It's tennis in this country, tennis coverage in this country will... Will look a lot different with her, with her gone. I think um, she's a Love Island fan, David. Is she? Mm. Oh, I've got a photo of her holding Island up a t-shirt, t-shirt saying, mm. "I've got a text." Oh right, <laughs> mm. okay. So that just just me then. <laughs> Who knows nothing yeah. about it? Pretty much. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, well, you can introduce me to it um, at Tennis Podcast Towers. Me and Billy Jean will watch mm-hmm. it together. You'll have no choice. Marvellous. Okay, I'll watch one episode of it and then I'll go and do something good with my life. Uh, right, Wimbledon qualifying's on this week. We've got it on at the moment uh, in the background and um, they're all in Roehampton. Um, the Wimbledon draw is going to be made on Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's going to be fascinating to see what that throws up. And of course, there's loads of players that will still be in action this week when that draw is made because Eastbourne has got an ATP and a WTA event taking place at the moment with uh, Cameron Norrie and Yannick Sinner and Alex Dimonor involved in the men's tournament. The women's tournament is a higher profile one and a, and a bigger, higher level tournament uh, with Paolo Badosa and 
Oz Jabeur was meant to be in the singles. Obviously, she's now only in the doubles. Uh, but alongside Serena Williams, we had Karolina Pliskova, Maria Sakkari and Garbina Magruth are all due to take part. I mentioned uh, Yannick Sinner. He's been seen with Darren Cahill, which is quite an interesting development. And uh, apparently they've been texting back and forth. And maybe this is the start of something. I, I think it's official, it is. isn't it, that it is right. the start of something. Uh, I oh. mean, it was rumoured and then it was confirmed. Um, yeah I mean he's a very good coach isn't he and Sin is a good player and he needs a coach so that seems like good. a good idea I, I hate the word but it's a good project to see what difference he might make to him because I feel like we know what Yannick Sinner is now and every, all the locker room know what he is as a player now what else has he got What else? Mm. what's the ceiling because I feel like the ceiling as far as it goes, has been reached. Mm. The and ceiling's very Rublev-y, isn't it? Yeah. I I, th- I kind of believe in him a bit more than Rublev, but I still... I think Darren Cahill wouldn't work with him unless he thought that the ceiling could go a lot higher than that, um, i.e. top eight in the world. He he would want the guy to be a top... Well, you'd want him to be world number one, and, and actually I don't think he'd bother without believing that, that he could be up there with Alcaraz, for instance. I would question that in terms of raw materials, but very interested to see what, whether that makes a, a tangible difference or not. Um, we have uh, the ATP Mallorca event uh, going on as well with Daniel Medvedev, Stefanos Tsitsipas and uh, Denis Shapovalov. There's another WTA event in a place called Bad Homburg uh, with Daria Kasatkina, Angelique Kerber, Simona Halep and Amanda Anisimova. And we are going to keep across all of it because we'll be bringing you uh, the results in our next shows over next weekend. And when we get into Wimbledon and we'll have our dailies, of course, every night from Wimbledon. Um, But before then, we've got those two Wimbledon Relived shows coming your way uh, with our Middle Sundays episode and then our Juniors special as well. Matt has been borrowing away in the Wimbledon Library having the time of his life, haven't you, Matt? I sure have, yes. Several trips to the library this year, and you you can unearth some great stuff that you just do not find on the internet in the Wimbledon Library. And, and I should say, actually, that if anyone is going to Wimbledon uh, over the next couple of weeks, you can just pop in to the library in fact that is active That's so cool that is actively encouraged it's 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 free to get into the museum with your ticket to wimbledon and the library is sort of at the end of the museum and you can go in there and look at all the newspaper clippings and archives and drawers and books it's great and it, at the risk of sounding like a relic from a bygone era i absolutely love that there is still stuff that you can't find on the internet and that you have to go to a, mm. a treasure trove for i really love that find that very romantic and it's somehow more satisfying when you have found it through through that means rather and than I can, I can vouch for it because i was attempting to i was attempting to pile some compile some stats on scheduling equality at the slams um the french open and for that you need access to order of plays from years gone by and i was desperately trying to find the right combination of search words um but consistently finding order of plays is is pretty much impossible you can find some but for obviously data compilation you know patchy some is not enough um matt said oh 
you need to go to the Wimbledon Library. And I said, I'm in Paris, Matt. And that was the end of that. <laughs> uh, so the Wimbledon Library, better than the internet, um, says Catherine and Matt. Um, we have a mascot for this week. And that mascot is a four-year-old boxer living with Guillermo. Am I saying that correctly, Matt? I don't know why you're coming to me, but um, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> you're the one who does names better than me, so I'm going to go with that. A Guillermo and family in Brazil, a four-year-old boxer. Name is Serena. Oh, yes. How perfect. That is wonderful. I love a boxer as well. They've got so much character, energy as well. Um, I bet Serena keeps Guillermo and family on their toes. Um, yeah. yeah, loads of character. Wonderful dogs. Na- named after Serena Williams, of course. Of course. And, uh, could not be more fitting that uh, Serena happens to be our mascot this week on the return of Serena Williams to tennis. Um, and we couldn't be happier to have Serena as our mascot. So you'll be able to see a, a picture of Serena in our newsletter in a couple of days' time. So make sure you're signed up to receive that if you're not already. Uh, the link to that is in our show notes to this show as well. Uh, we have our own mascots. I've got Darwin. Um, it's not going so well on the predictions front, Darwin, but now it's time to make our charge, right? Uh, Carter is Catherine's mascot. Gerald the cat, the dearly departed, is Matt's mascot. Uh, Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss sponsor Billie Jean the dog, who's been remarkably quiet after a, a brief outburst before we came on air. <laughs> yes, she got it out of her system early, which is... Mm. Great. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I thought I was going to have to cover up the microphone of the <laughs> laptop to stop it exploding. She was anyway. um, potentially expressing her displeasure at the rather severe summer haircut that I've given her. Yeah. I tried to explain that it'll, it'll make her feel cooler. I've noticed but... she's insisted on being off camera for the mm, majority of the very, podcast. It's um, very David Law lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. She, she does look better than I did. I've got to be honest. Um, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner are, are our executive producers and top blokes. Matt, we got some shout outs. We do. We have Laura Myers in California. Right, Laura. Laura. Hello, Laura. Oh, California. It's nice, isn't Those it? Those are the days, Catherine, weren't mm. they? <laughs> it's nice to be in California. Oh. Might be back next March. Lots Who knows? Of, lots of tennis, Laura's. Robson. Yeah. Who I was speaking to Siegmund. Today. Laura Siegmund. Oh, yeah. great shout. Laura Galassa from many years ago once played, I think she once played Steffi Graff at Wimbledon. <laughs> wow. I love it when there David does this. Yeah. But we like our Laura, the friend of the tennis podcast. Who else we got, Matt? We have Cindy McMillan in Toronto. Oh, right, hello, Cindy. I've dangled off a building in Toronto. That's my standard <laughs> Toronto story. She has, folks. And uh, Toronto Raptors were once my basketball team of choice when Vince Carter, uh, not the same Carter as sponsors Catherine, Vince Carter, the basketball player, was playing for the Toronto Raptors. Um, and uh, then he left and then I stopped. But, you know, now I might start again, Cindy, because, you know, you're our friend and everything. There um, there must be tennis Cindy's. All I can think of is Cindy Lauper. <laughs> yes. 
Mm. But she's she's great. She is, but not very good at tennis. Well, we don't know, David. Most likely. Anyway, Cindy, thank you ever so much. Yeah. Who else, Matt? And the final one today, of course, is a Catherine. It is Catherine Sota in Mayfield, East Sussex. So not far from Eastbourne, where the eyes of the tennis world are on at the moment. Spelling? Hello, Catherine. It's, It's a K and a Y. So, I don't know, a few hours back in the church, maybe. Yep, same church, different pew. (laughs) Catherine, thank you so much for being our friend. Um, And uh, if you are our friend as well, thank you. You're the people that are able to make this show stay on the road and get us to all these places to cover the sport. And, well, we hope you're enjoying them. Um, If you're not a friend yet and you'd like to become one, you can. Again, the link to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast is in our show notes. You can introduce a show. You can have a shout-out for yourself if you want to go up a little higher level. And there's going to be lots and lots of bonus content. There's two relived shows that are coming your way next week. Then we've got a review show after Wimbledon, which will have voice notes from some of our favourite contributors uh, we've got a Q&A shows as well with the three of us planned for after Wimbledon too. So uh, do become a friend of the Tennis Podcast and we'll try to make it very much worth your while. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Matt. We've got a busy couple of weeks coming up. Um, Catherine, you don't need to do any packing for this one. It's good, isn't it? Oh, it's such a relief. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Snacks in, Matt's on his way. <laughs> Literally placing the cardo order earlier on today, which can still be edited, Matt, when oh, you send me your list of requests. Yes, I will do. Thank you. I've got a uh, trip with familiar train issues, as all the trains are on strike this week in the UK, mm. and Ooh. we're somehow going to get there. Anyway, should be fun. Hope, we're hope you've enjoyed listen, listening to our admin. <laughs> yeah. No train strikes are going to get in the way of the tennis podcast, quite. folks. Don't you worry. We're going to sort I mean, this. They quite literally uh, might, but we'll do our best. <laughs> There's always Zoom. Uh, but no, we're going to be in person with Billie Jean the dog in tennis podcast towers uh, in just a week's time. Thanks for listening to us today. We'll speak to you very soon. Mm-hmm.